Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. Happy Easter, everybody. How are you this morning? I said, how are you this morning? All right. I was like, y'all are singing better than that. I mean, come on. There wasn't much of a transition for me coming on stage and uh, me being off stage. Hey, I'm so glad that you are here, and particularly, not just because today is Easter, and one of the things that people ask me all the time, or they say, all right, Easter, like, hey, so this is like your Super Bowl, right? And I was like, no, actually, every Sunday morning is like my Super Bowl. So, and that's what it is for us, because when, when we gather as a church, every time we gather, we gather in the name of Jesus, celebrating the very thing that we celebrate on our calendar today, that being the resurrection of Jesus. By the way, do me a favor if you would, look at the person next to you and just give them a high five and say, He is risen. He is risen. Everybody, I'm watching and so is Jesus. All right, here we go. He is risen. There you go. We had somebody alone and they're like, they high five themselves. It works, I guess. Sometimes you got to be creative. Hey, here's the thing about the resurrection. Not to get into the, to the nuts and bolts of things, but I, I want you to know this about the resurrection. Of course, it's on our calendar, and today is Resurrection Day, and we celebrate it. But the resurrection was an event that changed history, that we know. But also, the resurrection is a person that changes destiny. And I want you to know this, that, that you have the ability, if you were to give your life to Jesus, that Jesus resurrects things in our life that are dormant or dead, or, they're, or just decayed, or, or maybe something in our past that we have maybe neglected, and and in those times, Jesus can bring about good out of even bad in our life. And he can bring about good things in our life, even in situations in our life that maybe we think are are, are so far gone. Or maybe even moments where we've even walked away from God, God can meet us right there in that place. I love what Jesus said in John 11, 25. He said this so clearly. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. So what does Jesus say? He says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. I am the the pathway to life, to truly living. Has has anyone in here, maybe they've chosen another pathway of life. They thought there was going to be peace that that could come in another way. And yet we found that that's not the best way. And now you've become Jesus' people. And understanding that Jesus, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And he said this. As that passage continued, he says, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. You know, you may not even be a Jesus person at all, and I just want you to know that Calvary is a family that you can belong to even before you believe everything that we believe. Belief isn't an entry point into being connected into this church. So we're so grateful that you're here, and and if you're not a follower of Jesus at all, and just maybe you're just trying out church for the very first time, or maybe the fifth time, and maybe you've you've just come back because somebody's bribed you with a good lunch. I don't know. That works too. I don't know. But however it is that you're here, I just want to say that I'm so grateful that you are. And if you are a Jesus person, then you know about the resurrection life. You know about how to be transformed on the inside out. Amen? Amen. I do want us to, to come to the same place in all of us. I'm going to ask you a deeply personal question. And I, I do want us to kind of be in the same place because 
and just to, to physically and mentally and even spiritually, if we can, be in the same place. And I want to ask you this deeply personal question. Are you where you thought that you would be in life? Are you where you thought you would be in life? In the place and time that you're in right now, in the life that you're living right now, is this the same life that you dreamt that you would have when you were younger? Is this the same life that you thought you were going to live maybe even five years ago? I want you to know that there's hope for you, even if maybe some decisions that you've made or decisions that people have made for you and limited you, I want you to know that God has an opportunity, or God is pro- providing you an opportunity to turn your life around today. That Jesus, when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, no matter where you are or even if you were in the place that you thought that you would be, God meets you there and allows you an opportunity to change, to be the person that he wants you to be and do so with peace in your heart. Here's what I know from my, my years of life. We live in the middle ground of hopes and dreams. And I want you to know this, that what you do today and the decisions you make today matter. Some decisions that you may make today are decisions that could impact your eternal place. So we live in the middle ground of hopes and dreams. We, we have hopes and dreams, and it's good that we have hopes and dreams. And sometimes those hopes and dreams don't actually come about in the way that we thought that they would. But I, wanted, I want you to know something. As we enter into the passage of Scripture in Luke 24, you're going to find two gentlemen who they had their hopes and dreams, and they thought things were going to turn out differently. And yet it turns out in a way that's unexpected. And yet Jesus meets them right where they are. If you have your Bible or your device, I invite you to open up to Luke 24. We're going to read a lengthy passage of Scripture. And while you're flipping to, flipping, uh, to find that, I want you to know some things that have happened up to this point. So, of course, what we're going to talk about today in the passage we're going to read today is, a, is from Resurrection Day. But... The, the Sunday prior to Resurrection Day was Palm Sunday. So if you will, the city of Jerusalem is just swelling with people. Hundreds of thousands, potentially millions of people are in the city of Jerusalem. Jesus enters into the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on a small donkey. And he comes in and there's this, this parade of people. They, they're throwing their, their cloaks, their jackets over on the ground as Jesus enters in. They're throwing palm uh, palm fronds down as Jesus enters in, and they're, they're shouting, and they're shouting, and they're shouting, and it's such a time of celebration. that They knew that they were in the middle of a huge moment. The very next day it was the, the moment in the ministry of Jesus where he turns over the money changers' tables. Tuesday was kind of a normal day in the life of Jesus. You know, some healing, some teaching, some correcting, some, some wrong Jewish leaders. And it was a somewhat normal day. Wednesday was a day silent, so we just think that maybe that was just another typical day in the life of Jesus. Thursday, the Thursday prior to Resurrection Day, was the day of the Last Supper. And it was the day where he's gathering together, essentially gathering together with his disciples, giving them some instructions, not knowing what's going to happen on Good Friday. On Thursday is also the day that, that two, of his, uh, two of his friends betrayed him in two different ways. Judas betrays him with a kiss. His close friend, the one who watched over the money of the, the, money of the disciples, betrays Jesus with a kiss. And then Peter actually denies knowing Jesus three different times. Imagine what Jesus felt in that moment, knowing that his friends were going to do that, and then they actually did 
what he knew in advance that they were going to do. But then we go just hours later as Jesus is then brought before religious leaders and he's put before a trial for sins that he did not commit. The crown of thorns driven onto his head, his body being put up onto a cross, nailed hands and feet to a cross in a public way of shaming him. A way of just dismissing him as if he was just a disturbance that they could just do away with. After his death, and he cried out, it is finished, and we celebrated this on Good Friday during our service. After he cried out, it is finished, then they put him into a tomb. Many people thought, well, it's over now. The, the movement of Jesus is over now. The disciples themselves had disbanded. They're confused. They don't know what's going on. But now, even a day later on Resurrection Day, now there are some other conversations that are being had. There were some ladies who had gone into, into basically prepare Jesus' body and go into look at the tomb, and they found that Jesus wasn't there, that the stone was rolled away, and that Jesus was gone. And now... In, the, in that moment, they didn't know what was going on, but some angels speak to the ladies and say, he's not here, he's risen. Word gets around to the disciples, and then the disciples, they run to check for themselves. They're like, did somebody just steal Jesus' body? Was this all a sham? What has happened? And they find that the tomb is empty. So while some are still, some of the disciples are still in Jerusalem and, and like experiencing this and now, okay, he's not here. What, what has gone on? He's risen and now the word is spreading. But the word doesn't spread to everyone. Some people are confused. Verse 13 of chapter 24, we're going to see two men and we're going to see how they respond. It says this. In Luke 24, 13, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and he walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? Do you not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus says, in a bit of humor, and as, as we just read over this, we miss the humor of what Jesus is saying. The next thing he says is, What things? In other words, what are you talking about? Jesus is, is like playing like he doesn't have a clue, but he absolutely knows what's going on, and this is just in a playful way. Their response says it all, though. They say about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had been... that. They had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it. It was just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Jesus said to them, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe that all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. 
But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while we talked, or while we, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and hurried and returned at once to Jerusalem, where they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, "It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon." Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus had was recognized by them when he broke the bread. First thing I would like for us to draw our attention to in this passage is these gentlemen were going the wrong way. Jerusalem was the epicenter of hope. Jerusalem was was the place of the school known as Golgotha. It was the place where Jesus would be crucified, but it was also right outside of the city of Jerusalem, the old city of Jerusalem, is where the tomb would be. And these men are seven miles now from the epicenter of hope. They're seven miles, they're seven miles from Jesus. They're seven miles from the answers to the questions that they have. They're seven miles from their friends. They're confused, they're disappointed, and they're discouraged, and they're walking away from Jesus. And they're going the wrong way. In verse 13, we see this. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. A couple hours, just a couple hours of walking away from Jerusalem. And it says in verse 14, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and he walked along with them. This is an interesting thing that's happening here, and you, you miss this in just a general read of the Scripture. In verse 15, it says, they talked, and the word talking, is, it carries on the meaning like just throwing a ball back and forth. They're just having this conversation, but yet the next word, it says, they talked and discussed. That word discussed, it can be translated to mean argued or debate. So they're actually talking and they're debating. They're going back and forth and they're arguing about what had just happened in the city of Jerusalem as they're walking away from Jesus. And now they're in the middle of this argument. And and notice how interesting this is. So these two guys are walking away from Jerusalem and they're in the middle of an argument. And now Jesus is just walking upon them, just happens to walk upon them as as they're having this conversation and it's interesting to me because this isn't in the, in the passage, but I was thinking of this when I was reading it. I'm like, how many times have we walked upon somebody who's in the middle of an argument? And you're like, hey, are you guys okay? And you're like, oh, yeah, we're good. We're good. I'm like, you're not good. You're not good. We know you're not good. We just heard what you said. We heard what they said. You said this and they said that. I'm like, you're going back and forth. And Jesus just walks upon this, this argument, this conversation back and forth because they are simply confused and they're disappointed, and they're discouraged, and yet they've had the, a false expectation, some things that they thought would happen, and now the reality has been blown up. But even in the middle of where they are, notice that Jesus meets them. 
Even though they're walking away from Jesus, they're walking away from hope, they're walking away from the other disciples, they're walking away from other people, it wasn't them coming to Jesus, it was Jesus going to them. And I want you to know this morning, Jesus may be doing the same thing for you. You may have lived your whole life walking away from God, knowing some things about God, knowing some facts about God, maybe attending church services earlier in your life, and you may have been spending your life walking away. And I want you to know, if you're listening to me right now, and if you're feeling anything inside right now in this moment, I believe that is God stirring something in you, and that is God doing something for you. And what we have to do in response is what he's calling us to do. You see, Jesus, in his grace, he meets us where we are, and he leads us to the place where we're to be. Jesus doesn't just save a soul and then leave him there. Jesus saves the soul, and then he replenishes that soul over and over and over and over, and he fills it with hope, and he fills it with peace, and he fills it with more life, and he fills it with good things, and he fills it with the fruit of the Spirit, and you have this overwhelming sense of joy and peace and patience and love and self-control and the fruit of the Spirit. But he doesn't just save a soul and then leave the soul to just live and rot on earth. Instead, he continually replenishes the soul. When Jesus is having this conversation with these two men who are essentially walking away from him, Jesus gives them what they need. They needed a confidence, a confidence in the word of God. Because Jesus told them certain things that were, that were connecting the dots in the Old Testament about him. It was exactly what they needed at that time. Many times I believe that we get our minds so fixated on, on where we're going or what we're supposed to do or the next stage of life that we're trying to get into or preparing for the future, the future, the future, and all that's great. But what I found is true, or to be true, is this, that the steps and stops on the journey of life are essential to the destination. It's not just where we want to go. It's who we become on our way of getting to the place that God is bringing us. Which is why God continually replenishes the soul that is repentant to continue to replenish the soul that it's not just about eternity in God, but instead it's living an abundant life here on earth. And part of that abundant life is the life that we all want. And it's a life of peace. A peaceful life occurs by committing your decisions in your dreams, in your emotions, in your thoughts, and your plans, all to God. This is the life that we are all longing for. We're all in a pursuit of peace. But that there's only one true pathway to peace, and that's through Jesus Christ. So even though this morning you may be walking away, if there's a stirring in your heart right now, Jesus is meeting you right here and now. They're walking away, and as I, I mentioned a couple minutes ago, that Jesus' response to them is one of a bit of humor in verse 19. After Cleopas says, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? Do you not know the things that have happened there in these days? He's like, hello, everybody knows what's going on. Everybody knows what's going on. Like Jesus was, was publicly 
butchered and beaten and crucified. He died publicly. Everybody knows that. The sky went dark. Everybody experienced that. Everybody saw that. Like, how could you not know? And then Jesus very playfully says, he's like, well, what things? As if he's like, well, I don't know. I missed it. What, what things? You see, Jesus revealed himself within their hearts before he revealed himself with their eyes. There was a change that they didn't even know was happening on the inside because their response in verse 32 was this. Were not our hearts burning within us while, we, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? It's like there was something going on in our hearts, although we couldn't see it with our eyes. There was something going on. They just couldn't put their finger upon it. The reason why, several reasons. The first reason, if you're a note taker, is because they were in a state of confusion. They were in a state of confusion. Well, you may say, well, pastor, well, why were they confused? They were confused because they had a lack of patience because in verse 13, it says that they were walking away from Jerusalem. They were walking away from Jesus. They were walking away from the tomb. They were walking away from disciples. They were walking away from understanding. They were walking away from the pathway of peace. They were walking away. Did you know it's really easy to walk under our own strength and walk away from God and then be confused about how we got there. It's really easy to just go off course and just go and do our own thing only to find out that we're confused about how we got there and the reason why we got there is because we walked away from God to begin with. Because when God gives a life of peace, He doesn't add in confusion. Amen? When he gives a life of peace, there's a peace in the storms of life, even if we don't have all of the knowledge about how everything's going to turn out. There's another thing here as well, though. Not only are they confused, there's false expectations. There's false expectations. It's really easy to have false expectations, isn't it? Let's bring up middle school the land of, of false expectations. Remember middle school? I know you want to forget. We all want to forget. But middle school, remember when, when he or she, you were like sweet on them and you're like, oh my goodness, he's cute or she's cute or whatever you said. And then, and then in that moment, you took, you took a pen and wrote, wrote their name on the inside of your hand. That way you'd never forget them through the day. And then you look at it, and then it's the middle of the day, and your palms were all sweaty, and be like, oh, i got to fix that. And then you put it on the other side. You got really courageous, and you're like, you'd, you'd strut through the halls. Remember that? And you're like, not only so you could see it, so other people could see it. And then if you really thought something of, of this individual, you wrote their name on your notebook because that's permanent, you know, on the notebook. And, like, you put it on the outside and be like, hmm, I heart whatever their name was, and everything was awesome. It's like, oh, my goodness, they're the one for me. But back in my day, we had these, thing called, these things called trapper keepers. And a trapper keeper was, was not just a notebook. It was a collection. It was a place to collect all of your notebooks and all of your folders. And if you really thought, somebody, thought something of someone back in my day, you had your trapper keeper with a little plastic insert, and you could slide 
tied something in there. And that was a way of putting like maybe even bigger way. And like, I'm proud to say that I really like this person. And you'd have it on your trapper keeper. And you'd put it down on your desk. And you'd be so slow to open that the way everybody saw what was on your trapper keeper. That was like the, it was the land of false expectations. And yet something happened back then. And then you realized that this person was talking all sweet to you. But they were talking all sweet to somebody else too. Right? And it's like it went south, and and now you're thankful that you didn't get what you thought you couldn't live without. Anybody thankful of that? The thing you're like, oh, I just cannot go on living unless I have this. You see, these two gentlemen, they have false expectations because they actually don't know the Bible. And they don't know, particularly, they don't know the Old Testament. Because what Jesus explained to them was some things about him. In his explanation, the, the expectation was for the Messiah, that, be, that being Jesus, that he would be, that would he appear normal looking. And this expectation is from Isaiah 53 2. There's an expectation also that the Messiah would enter the temple with authority and then turn over the money changers' tables, which he did on Monday of that week. And that's from, from Malachi. Three, one. There's another expectation that the Messiah would be eternal, that he wouldn't die. So there's an expectation there from Daniel and the Psalms. There's another expectation that they, they didn't know the Bible well enough, the, the Old Testament, the Bible at the time. They didn't know that the Messiah would be rejected by his own people. And perhaps what Jesus is doing when he explains to them the scriptures about himself is he's unpacking all these passages. And he's, he's conveying this message when he's sitting there having the meal. And he says, I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm, I'm the one that the Old Testament was, was writing about. Maybe he also explained to them that the Messiah, that he, being Jesus, is the Messiah, that he would be falsely accused from Psalm 35, 1, or the Messiah would be forsaken by God the Father, and that by, by Psalm 22, 1, or the Messiah would be a sacrifice for sin, and that could be found in Isaiah 53, 5 through 12, or that the Messiah would resurrect in two different passages in the Old Testament. Perhaps Jesus went through to explain that, one of which is Psalm 16, 10, and the other one is Psalm 49, 15, we're not really sure what he used or what, he, what verses he used particularly, but we know that Jesus explained himself by using the Bible. If you want to know God, you have to get to know the Bible because the Bible is the message book by which you will get to know the true messenger, that being Jesus Christ, the resurrected one. We also can see not only did they have false expectations, But also, they had disappointment because they thought things would turn out in a different way. You know, I know that we also have moments like this too where we have disappointment. Notice in this passage, it says that their their faces were downcast. They had a disappointment because of this, this lack of understanding. Their hope would be that Jesus would come in in a different way and then their expectations being off and now they're in a place of disappointment. And they're facing more disappointment because they're walking away from the city of Jerusalem. If you're a note taker, the next thing that you would see is that Jesus had, excuse me, these two men had a sense of discouragement. It's saying that they were slow at heart. 
verse 25. Now, what's interesting about this, about this particular verse, is Jesus doesn't just walk along these two guys and just pat them on the back and be like, all right, guys, hey, we need to get back to Jerusalem because this is where, this is the epicenter of hope. And remember, everything happened in Jerusalem, and you have all these people, you have the rest of the disciples. It, 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 he, didn't, he didn't come alongside them and, and just give them the, the soft approach. Instead, notice what he said in verse 25. He said, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. So he didn't just pat him on the back and say, hey, guys, it's going to be okay. He, in, in other, in the exact opposite, actually, he chastises them, and he's like, how foolish you are. He, he could have gone further and said, you're walking away from the person and the place that can offer you the most hope. You're walking away from the thing that can satisfy your soul. And Jesus, he says, how foolish you are. And he says, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. He doesn't sympathize with these men. Instead, he calls out their unbelief. He calls out their unbelief. And there's a time in the Christian life, that we get both. That we get a steady dose of encouragement, somebody patting us on the back, and then there's another time where, where somebody gets in our face like Jesus got in their face, and he says, "How I can't believe you're doing this. Why are you being so slow of heart? Being slow at heart is like a car that is slow to start. It needs a jump start. Being slow at heart Another way of just being discouraged, you're just down, but you're down because of something that you've done instead of, instead of something that God has done to you. It's something you've done essentially against God. So being slow at heart is like a car that won't start. You know, for these messages, I, I try to do a really good job and I research as much as I can. I do. In the Bible, outside the Bible, I try and research as much as I can. So part of the great research that I did for this message it got me in this video loop uh, on Facebook, and I'm watching this, this, I don't even know how I landed here, but I'm watching this, this video loop about people, they took bacon, which I think can really cure a lot of the ills of the world right there. I mean, you know, the, the, I just, I don't know, I love it, I love it. Just the little slices of, of that holy swine, I love it, it's really good, I love bacon. And between bacon and duct tape, I'm just saying, I think we could fix a lot of the issues in the world, I think we can. I just think we can. I don't know. Maybe I'm a small-minded, but I just think we can. But I got caught up in this video of, of they took, there was this car that wouldn't start, and then they took raw bacon, and, and I'm like, oh, you got me a bacon. So I'm like, I'm drawn into this video, right? And then, but they sold it at the beginning of like what, they, what it was going to be, and then they said, man uses bacon to start, a, to start a vehicle with the batteries dead. I'm like, yeah, right. But once I was about five seconds in, I was like, I could not miss it, right? So I'm looking at it. He takes raw bacon, and he wraps it around both terminals of the battery. I'm like, yeah, 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 bacon, I got it. I'm going to add that to my first aid kit in the car. I'm, I'm, I'm locked in now. We're good. Okay, so raw bacon. And, and then they take, they take Red Bull, and he pours it over the terminals and over the bacon. I'm like, I've never had Red Bull, but if it works, I'll get that too. That's fine. They pour it over, and then they, they, they have this, this little battery, like a, a battery that you use for a, a 
just a, a drill, and they've got that, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got one of those. I'm good, I'm good. And then they take the wires, and then they, they make the final thing, and they turn it over, and the car starts. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. I was doing it wrong the whole time. I'm like, I just thought you used another car with jumper cables and another battery. I'm like, I could do this all by myself. I don't even need anyone else. The battery's low. It needs a jump start. And I, I, I say all that to tell you this. Your heart sometimes needs to jump start too. But you can't do that yourself. It's, it's, sometimes when we're slow at heart, it's, it's a jump start that only God can give. And the only way that you can have that jump start in your heart, when you're slow at heart, when you're caught in a pathway of disbelief, is not by adding more of you. It's actually less of you and in inviting in more of God. Because... The same message that these men heard from Jesus is perhaps the same message that we need to hear. Because some of us are foolish, some of us are slow at heart to believe that the Bible is actually true. But notice, even through all of that, how Jesus responds. He responds by sitting down with them and having a meal with them. He doesn't just chastise them and walk away in disgust. That's not Jesus. That's not, his, that's not what he does. Instead, what does he do? He actually goes and he spends the evening with them and he has this meal with them and he sits down and although there was something that was going on inside of them, they couldn't see Jesus and understand what they were seeing, but yet God loves them. Jesus loves them so much where he sits down and has this meal. Jesus was revealing himself to them in their hearts before they could see him with their eyes. This is what he's getting at in verse 32 of Luke 24. He says, when the two gentlemen, after Jesus disappears, and by the way, this isn't like some Harry Houdini thing, like all smoke and mirrors. This is literally only a Jesus thing where he's like, boop, I'm gone. But he was gone after he'd revealed himself to them. But notice their response after after Jesus is gone. They say, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road? In other words, wasn't there something going on inside of us? We couldn't put our finger on exactly what it was, but wasn't Jesus, wasn't there something special about that moment? This morning... If you're feeling anything based upon what you've heard or what we've sung, this could be a moment where God gives you a jump start. Or maybe it's a brand new start. I want you to know that we all, we all face times where we're disappointed with God or ourselves or other people. We all do. We all do. I, I wish that were not true. I'm not proud to say that the times I'm disappointed with God or myself or other people, but we all face disappointments. These men were in a state of disappointment also because they're walking away from the epicenter of hope, but Jesus meets them there. The last two things to fill in on your info cards address where some of us are this morning. See, sometimes... The reason why we have disappointments is because we face trials. And other times we face disappointment is because we're in the middle of some consequences. 
some advice, biblical advice, is pastorally speaking, just taking us through this passage in this moment is this. Trials in life you persevere and learn from. And God allows those. Consequences you repent and turn from because that's because of our disobedience. These men were given an opportunity to make things right. Not because of something that they've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Is there a burning in your heart right now? Are you caught in a season of disappointment right now? Are you in a season of confusion right now? Have you been discouraged for way too long? Has your life not turned out the way that you thought that it would and now you're disappointed with God or disappointed with yourself or disappointed with someone else? If there's any burning inside of your mind and in your heart right now, if there's any heaviness in you right now, that means that God is speaking. That means that God is revealing himself to you. Although you may not be able to see what it is that God wants you to do or to be where it is that that God wants you to be, He's doing something in the inside of you and He's calling you to something that is significant. He's revealing Himself to you. Jesus is revealing Himself to these men. He's not allowing them to walk away. Jesus meets them where they were. And Jesus is also meeting you where you are.